God just rocked my world. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing to me how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, and the only way I can explain it is uh, by demonstration, like we just experienced right now. I'm sure that not anybody probably even realizes what just happened right there. Ephesians chapter 1 is the center point of my message this morning. Oh, go figure, Bob. And we didn't plan that, by the way. We didn't plan that. But, you know, we are here as a church, as a church body, the leadership team, all of the gifts and talents that are, are part of this great work to glorify God, right? That is why we are here. God created us as beings in his image, to have relationship with us. And what just happened right there shows me that he wants to have relationship with us. He's active. He's moving. He demonstrates his love in ways that go beyond our imagination, that go beyond our belief. And when we are in moments in time like we are right now, in the setting of the Thanksgiving weekend, when um, we've got a lot of people that have been away for three or four months that are back now, and we have the opportunity to, to share in the relationships that we've built over time. Isn't it beautiful how God designed us? It's amazing. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. Don't get me wrong. That's my favorite holiday. But there's something about Thanksgiving that makes it so close. Because Thanksgiving is a time of reflection, and a time, it's, like, it's like the end of something and the beginning of something new. You know, I just mentioned it earlier about it being the gateway to the holiday season. You know, I think about Thanksgiving and the, the, the regard for being thankful as something where you just kind of stop, and you reflect, you analyze. Sometimes if you're like me, you overanalyze. And then sometimes if you're like my brother-in-law, Monty, you re-overanalyze. I had to pick on you at least once today. My other brother-in-law isn't here. But, um, you know, coming off of Veterans Day and Thanksgiving, you know, I just, it's been building in my heart. It's been um, something in my head for a long time. And I, I just, it's, um, it's the thing about freedom and free will and choice in relationship that just has just been like a drum, a beating drum in my heart and in my mind for a while here. And, um, well, like, how old am I? 42 years. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm 42 years old, Bob, no older than that. Bob called me the youngest elder. Ugh, that's a little scary. Luke, you ready to be an elder someday? All right. I'm sure God's got that in store for you. Um, Back on track, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving Day. What a powerful time in the year, really, as we reflect. It just it, it brings up so many emotions inside of me of, of freedom and thanksgiving and, you know, the things that we highly esteem and highly regard. But I think too often we don't actually consider enough what it takes to have that, to have freedom. The fact that God created us with a free will, a free will to choose. You know, one of the, one of the things that 
I'm not very good at, at as a person is, is goal setting. So I've made it easy for myself. Year over year, I really pray and I think about one thing, one thing that I want to focus on uh, through the year. And the one thing that I've focused on this year more than anything else in a goal setting type of context is to foster a safe place. Think about that, those words, foster a safe place. What do you feel when you, when you think about that? Safety, flowers, apple cider, <laughs> pumpkin pie. Comforting, relaxing, really enjoyable thoughts sometimes come to mind. You know what comes to mind when I think about fostering safe place? I think about war. I think about blood. I think about hard choices. Emotionally saying, no, I'm not going there, and you're not coming into my house because my kids are going to be safe. That's what I think about when I say and think about fostering a safe place. And I think it's a lot like freedom. You know, when we think about freedom, it's just like, oh, I love that feeling. What is that? What is that feeling of freedom? Think about it in your head right now. Don't say it out loud, please, Darren. You'll wreck it. What is it? When you feel freedom, what does that feel like? Does it feel soft? Do you feel reverence? I know some of you probably have imagery and maybe even reminder of some really bad war-type circumstances when somebody says the word freedom, right? The scope of what we're talking about here in freedom is pretty wide. And I just want to unpack that. And so I got a lot to unpack this morning. I just, I don't know how I'm going to get this all done. I promise you I'll be done before the Vikings game. (laughs) But seriously, I do have to watch the clock because I don't, I think I got way too much material material here, so I better, I better get going. But, you know, the point I want us to think about kind of over here on the side as I'm talking through this is that freedom involves some really hard choices. So the use of our liberty, the use of our freedom, really I want to put into context this morning about life in Christ. Our, our mission as a church body is to help people discover and experience an abundant life in Christ. Right, So we're going to be talking about freedom in Christ ultimately here this morning. And you can't believe in Ephesians chapter 1 how many times the emphasis point is made on in Christ, in Him, through Him. That's what freedom is. And that's what I want to try to establish with us today. So first things first, let's just get, some, let's get a definition up on the, up on the screen here. Freedom. You pronounce it free da um. Everybody say that. Free da um. Freedom. So dictionary.com references it as this the state of being free or at liberty rather than in confinement or under physical constraint. Another definition would be the exemption from external control, interference, regulations, etc. And then third, I kind of like the best of these three, but it's the power to determine action without restraint. 
The power to determine action without restraint. Um, as most of the time, I don't think Webster or dictionary, Dictionary.com always gets it completely right, especially when we're thinking about it in biblical terms. So I've added to it. Now, this is the, the BK version of the dictionary. Um, this is what I've added. The power to act, our free will, freedom, our free will. The power to act according to our desire, within our design. So I'm going to talk a little bit about desire and design, but what did I just do there? I put freedom in a box. Does that make sense? Next slide, Owen. The paradox. Everybody know what a paradox is? A paradox is a statement that seems self-contradictory, so much so that in reality it might express some truth. And freedom in Christ is just like that. We are the most free, we are the most satisfied, we are the most as created when we're in Christ. Amen? So I'm going to talk a little bit more, I'm going to unpack this about Desire and design, and I'm going to talk about design first. And um, to illustrate this, I want us to think about a couple of things that clean in our households, okay? A dishwasher and a wash machine. Bell? You got a dishwasher? You got a wash machine? What would happen if you put the dishes in the wash machine? What do you think would happen if you put the dishes in the washing machine? I think they'd break. So in that case, the wash machine would be used outside of its design. The dishes would be cleaned outside of what they're designed for. Right? My kids and Mindy are always giving me a hard time because I'm always scratching my back. And, and, you know... It was funny because just the other day, one of the kids, I don't remember which one, said, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? Would a back scratcher be good? Yeah. Yeah, I'd really like a back scratcher. Okay, think about a back scratcher and a cheese grater. Do I need to go there? Ouch. That would hurt. $100 bill. What's a $100 bill designed for? Yeah, isn't that right? Stand, standing on it? Oh, spending. It's for spending. Yeah, you're right. But it has limitations, doesn't it? It has limitations. Can't spend more than a $100 bill. Think about a credit card then. Woof, those are the things that can get us in trouble, right? But the point here is, when we're using ourselves or objects outside of our design, that's where we get into trouble. And that's actually where we get into bondage. We think we have the ability to choose outside of our design way too many times. And it actually results in bondage, not freedom. Doesn't it?
God created us to be free. God created us with a free will. But there are some other things that he put in our design that will help us understand this better. And I'm going I'm to go there uh, soon. So, the biggest point I probably want to make about design, because I don't want us to miss this. If I haven't said it already, I'm sorry. But what I don't want us to miss is that we are the happiest and most fulfilled when we are responsible. And, oh, and if you'd put uh, slide five up there for me, if it's not already, Genesis 128, this is really big. There is, a, there is almost hidden a truth in here that we cannot miss. So Genesis 1, the very first chapter in the first book of the Holy Bible, God blessed them in Genesis 128. God blessed them and God said to them, this is Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the sky and over every living thing that moves on earth. Even before sin, there was responsibility. I don't know that Adam and Eve knew any different, but the point is they were created to do something. They were created to be responsible. The sea, the fish, the birds, the sky, they had dominion over it. It would have suffered without them being active in this created life, in this creative design that God set out for Adam and Eve and and us and everyone. So God created us to be responsible. Wouldn't it make sense then that we are the most happy, we are the most fulfilled, we feel the most free when we are responsible? That's what we were made for. We were made to be responsible. When we get outside of that responsibility, It'd be like taking the cheese grater to my back. Ow! It'd be like putting dishes in the wash machine. We don't want to get outside our created design. So, let's go on to desire. Because now that, that we've established that God created us for responsibility, ultimately God wanted something of relationship that was of more intense value value than we can even really imagine or comprehend. And the way he achieved that is by giving us a free will. And through that, God required our obedience. Think about that for like 10 minutes when you get home. It'll rock you. It'll rock your world. So going on to uh, the next slide... Oh, and we're going to go uh, to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2, where God is going to show Adam and Eve that he's put a requirement on them that they could use their free will to choose what is right within their design. So this is where desire meets design, okay? Right here in Genesis chapter 2. Listen to it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from, don't miss this, from any tree of the garden. You may eat freely. I'm going to read that one more time. From any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat from it, you will surely die. 
Everybody catch it? Adam, you can eat from any tree in the garden. There is not one single tree that I'm not giving you the free will to pick from. But don't eat from that one. I'm telling you, I'm advising you, don't eat from that one. It'll wreck you. It'll make you go outside of what I created you for. So he gave Adam the choice to go outside of the box. That's where free will comes in. That's where this whole free will thing uh, takes shape. If he chose poorly, it would be the spiritual death of man. So (laughs) this is interesting because now responsibility or irresponsibility hinges on a choice. Obedience or disobedience hinges on a choice, and it's our choice. Later on in, in Deuteronomy, we see kind of this, uh, well, after you know, life on earth expanded, after Adam and Eve had children and their children had children, and, and God's people started to come into, into the narrative here, and there were many laws given after this one. There's big you know, big mess, and you can read about it through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's just a lot of stuff in there that God added to human, the human life to basically demonstrate that we can't do this without Him. There's no way we can do this without Him. But there's, some real, there's a real point of clarity in Deuteronomy that God verbalizes to His people. It's in Deuteronomy 30. 15 through 20. I'm just going to read it here. See, I've said before you today, life and prosperity and death and adversity. And that I commanded you today to love the Lord your God and walk in his ways and keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply. Sounds a lot like back to Genesis. And that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey but are drawn away And worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. See, this is about choices. Life, death, blessings, curses. So, choose life in order that you may live and that you and your descendants, by loving the Lord, your God, by obeying His voice and by holding fast to Him. For this is your life and the length of your days. God is showing them the fingerprint that He has on His people. Choose life. Be who I made you to be. He created them to be responsible, to be obedient, and to love, to have relationship. Our choices are governed by our free will. What a beautiful thing that is. So I want to just take us right to the two most epic examples of free will in history. We already talked about Adam a little bit. Go ahead, Owen. 
Adam expressed his free will. He expressed it in disobedience as a man, and it condemned creation. It took us outside of our box. It took us outside of what God created us for and to. And then Jesus, Jesus, see, Adam and Jesus, and I guess Eve, were the only ones who really walked this earth sinless. Right? Adam came in first. He screwed up. God had to intervene. It was an immaculate conception. And it couldn't have been a human man that made this happen. It had to be God that went into the womb of Mary. Right? Because Jesus had to be sinless. He could not... See, when I was born, as lovely as my mother is, and as honorable as my father is, thank you guys for everything, I was born into sin. Um, Ozak, wherever he is, he's probably in the, in the nursery, hopefully behaving. But I can tell you, he doesn't always behave. I mean, that sin nature shows up really early, doesn't it? For those of us who have had young children, I mean, it's amazing how early that shows up. Isn't it, Sam? Woofta. Should get more of you or Luke? I always like to test the, you know, the people I'm uh, sort of mentoring just to see what they'd say in a crowd. There it is, Luke. You got some work to do, brother. Uh, so, uh, you know, Ozak, even as a young kid, I mean, it's amazing how, how early that sin nature shows up. But back to Jesus. Jesus had to be born sinless. So the Holy Spirit intervened, impregnated Mary. We had the Son of God being born. Fully God, fully man. That's what's different about Jesus than Adam or any of the rest of us, right? He's fully God, 100% God, and 100% man. Wow, think about that. But it was the only way. It was the only way that God could get us out of the ditch because it had to be a perfect sacrifice. See, the Israelites, they, they went through all this messy, bloody, oh yuck stuff to... Um, you know, make themselves right and, and good with God because God demanded sacrifice. Well, you know, they get done with one sacrifice and they'd go off and sin again. Well, now what? <laughs> Got to kill something again. You know, what a crappy ordeal. What a, ugh, yuck, right? Well, God wanted to pull us out of the ditch, right? He wanted to provide a way that we could live as created, as he created us. This is the beautiful thing about the story. He never gives up, just never gave up and he wanted us to be able to have access to that life where we live according to the way he created us so Jesus comes on the scene Jesus was 100% man and he didn't screw it up amen oh that's good 100% man and he had a choice see now this is where our brains start having to kind of work overtime. Because, you know, the fully God thing and the fully man thing, how does that work? I mean, if he was fully man, but he was fully God, did he really have the choice to screw up? Now we're going to get deep, okay? Now we've got to get a little bit deeper into the ocean because 
Now we're into theology stuff. And, and terms in theology are so emotionally packed. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, there's a word predestined in there. And, you know, if you're a Calvinist, you think about predestination a lot different than if you're an Ar- Arminian. Is that it, Bob? Yeah, it's Arminian, right? So you got, uh, you know, the, the Arminian point of view and the Calvinist point of view. The Calvinist point of view, just kind of in, in short here, would be that God is, is predestined, preordained, knows all, kind of pulls the string. We really don't have a choice because he knows it anyway, so he's just going to make that happen. That's kind of way over here on the Calvinist side. And then on the Arminian side is we have a choice. He's, he knows everything. He knows what's going to happen. But through that, and our brains don't quite reconcile this very well, but through that we have the choice to yes or no. We have the choice to say yes to this. We have the choice to say no to that. I'm kind of a Calminian, I guess, when it comes to <laughs> theology. Um, but is there contrary choice? That's kind of the theological term here. And I know emotions uh, get kind of packed into theology when you talk about predestination and predetermination, stuff like that. But next slide, Owen, please. Um, the, the big question here about free will is, is there contrary choice? You know, if God has set our destiny, think about predestination in the form of destiny. If God has set our destiny to be there, do we have the opportunity, do we have the right to say no? I believe we do. I also believe he knows whether I'm going to say no or yes, but I believe that he gives us contrary choice. Now, if you want to argue about that later, we can argue about that later. But my point here is we have the ability to say yes or no. Jesus did too. Jesus had the ability to say uh, yes or no. Now we're getting into sovereignty. The ability to do whatever one wants. God is a sovereign God. He can do whatever He wants. He says in Psalm 115 that He does whatever pleases Him. In Psalm 133, verse 10, it says that no one can frustrate the plans of the Lord. In other words, He makes the rules. But if you really think about that in the second, third, fourth, and fifth layers, what I think it comes down to is this. He could, but he won't. He's got unbelievable character and unbelievable determination and unbelievable discipline. It's it's divine discipline. So he's not going to choose to violate his nature. God is a God of relationship. He's he's not going to choose something outside of his nature, out of his statutes, out of his free will. I think about sin and darkness as the absence of God. You know, sometimes we think about positive here and negative here. I think about there's, you know, God is. He just is. He is. He's love. He's light. He is. So the absence of love, light, 
In other words, God's not anywhere near it. That is sin and darkness and death. He's not going to choose to go there. His character is way above that. So when he created us with a free will, he knew that we, we had the capacity to not be as strong as he is in this area. But his great example is Jesus because he fixed fully God and fully man together. He fused them together in his, his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus overcame, didn't he? What good news that is. Jesus overcame, he defeated sin and death. Because of this, he demonstrated that we can trust him. We can trust him. Did you know that the very center point verse in the Bible is Psalm 118.8? I mean, I think there's significant things like that in, in the Bible. I know it was canonized, it was picked by men and, and all that, but the Bible is God-breathed. Every single word of it is God-breathed. It is totally true in every way. And here's the center verse, the very most middle verse. It is better to take refuge. In other words, it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in man. There it is. Trust. So free will is like this great denominator, right? Free will, oh, the next slide, please. Free will is the great denominator to love, to trust, to responsibility, to relationship. Without free will, what value is there? Think about that. What value in there is there in, in love if there's not, if, if the only thing in the room is a mandate to like me? You know, you're going to say nice things to me. Maybe you're going to scratch my back if you're really feeling. But you don't have to love me. You know, in order to love me, you got to choose. Love is a choice. Love isn't a feeling, everyone. Love is a choice. Think about it. Jesus, the ultimate demonstration of love, he chose to go to the cross. He chose to, oh, think about that. I mean, the pain, the physical pain is unbelievable to us, right? But when he looked in that cup and saw the wrath of God, oh, oh my goodness. Johnny, what kind of moment was that? Seeing the wrath of God. Father, if there's any way, please take this cup from me. I mean, I think he, he saw the physical stuff, the whippings, the beatings, the spittings, the curses. I mean, I mean I'm sure that stunk. But seeing the wrath of God, whew, he took that upon himself. So, trust is gained, right? It's, it's kind of like credibility. Credibility is, is gained. You can go to school, you can get a master's, you can get a PhD in theology. How far are you going, Matt? This is Matt. Matt, will you stand up? Come on now. All right. This is Matt. This is Olivia's boyfriend, all right? For, for, those, of, uh, for those of you who don't know who this guy is, that's Olivia's boyfriend. Matt, um, you're going to school, you're going to get 
accounting degree, going to go on further, get some letters behind your name. So now he starts to get letters behind his name, right? He's going to get his master's in accounting. Whew. Must be smarter than I am. Uh, now, those letters. What do those letters say to everybody? He's earned something, right? He's gained something. Just because he has letters behind his name, do you think I'm going to go get my taxes done by him? Right? You trust every doctor you've gone to? So trust is gained, but trust has to be given. Don't miss that. Trust has to be given. As much, maybe more, as it has to be gained. It's a two-sided deal, folks. It's a two-sided deal. It's deeper than credibility. It's relationship. It's relationship. That's trust is the foundation of relationship. That's like marriage. Is a good and healthy marriage defined by two people free to do whatever they desire? Oh, I see a lot of smiles in the room now. No, I don't think so. Good marriages are operating in mutual submission, aren't they? You know, sometimes we've got to scratch on each other. Sometimes we've got to sharpen each other. But the, the marriages that last are marriages that are fused together in the bond of Christ. There's a mutual goal there. There's a mutual understanding that we are going to live the way in which we were designed and created, and we are going to do that together in Christ. Now, that is a good picture of relationship right there, everyone. You know, marriage isn't the only way that we can describe, you know, a, a good and, and healthy relationship, but it is a good one. But free will, again, free will is a requirement of these choices. Right? When Matt has a master's in accounting, and someday, I'm not even going to set this one up, Matt. I won't bring myself into the picture. But somebody's going to come to Matt and say, you know, I think you've been pretty good with school. You've been really good with people. A lot of people say a lot of really great things about you, Matt. I need you to do my taxes. That's a choice, isn't it? So choices and free will. So choices made in obedience and love build relationships and a fullness. Remember back in Genesis, we were created to be responsible. When we're responsible with our choices, there's fullness. Okay, these are just, this is just like the little stuff. You know, think about it in terms of the big stuff. You know, God created us to be responsible. When we use our free will to be obedient to Him, to be submiss- submissive to Him in the way that we were created, designed, and what we're called to, when we're flowing in that and responding to His voice and responding to His 
His law, the law of Christ, this is where it all comes together again. When we are living in Christ, when we choose in Christ, we are the most full. We are the most free. So the flowers, the apple cider, you know, there's time for that. There's room for that. But hard choices are what get us here. We've got to say no to stuff. Hard choices are what build really credible and good relationships. So in Christ, the center point of this message is, Bob, Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to read it again. And I didn't put it up there because I just like everybody to experience this for yourselves. If you have your Bible, have your iPad, your phone, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Because we've got to see it. We've got to bring multiple senses into this. How are we doing? Hanging in there? Everybody okay? Yeah? Thank you, Elaine. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I'm going to do that every time, by the way, just to warn you. In Christ, so we don't miss it. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us to adoption as the sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. And he's a good God. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us, the beloved, in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, in him. Also, we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were in the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge for our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his strength, of might, which he brought about in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When are we the most fulfilled? When do we feel the most full? When do we feel the most free in Christ? I got to go to one more scripture. Sam, we wrote a song about this. We haven't sung it in a long time. We should do that again. Romans 6, 5 5 through 11. Another picture of being united in Him, united with Christ. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with. There's a choice in that. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Christ, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. He died to sin once and for all. But the life that he gives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. What a picture of freedom. Isn't God good? So choose life. A life in Christ is free and satisfying. Oh, and you can flash forward there again. Choosing life in Christ is the most freeing, the most satisfying thing that humans can experience. Why? Because we were created that way. We were created with a free will to choose the right thing, to choose to operate inside of our design. Amen? Acceptance of His grace through Christ It saves and enlightens our spirit. It's the aha. Whoa! I was created for this? Even the bad stuff, even the war stuff, the blood, the saying no. See, that is all 
it's weirdly fulfilling when you're in Christ. That's good stuff. We can go through trials. We can go through hard things knowing that we can trust God. And it actually is a fulfilling thing when you make the choice to do the hard thing and you know that God is going to be faithful. God is going to honor that. Hallelujah. See, obedience fulfills our responsibility. God created us. Remember in Genesis, again, God created us to be responsible. And obedience fulfills that responsibility. We're most satisfied, we're most happy, we're most free when we are responsible, when we choose Christ. Life in Christ is the only way, the only way to to obtain God's full intent for how He made us. Life in Christ is the only way to obtain a full sense of freedom. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your truth. God, you are so good. The amazing way that you designed us and you created us for the purpose of glorifying you and having a relationship with you, God. And though we mess up, we are so thankful that you've given us free will, that you've given us the the opportunity to choose. God, it's on our knees that we beg you to help us through your Holy Spirit to choose the right thing so that we can be full, so that we can experience the fullness of God, the fullness of you, the fullness of why you made us why you've called us all, even individually, to do the things that we do. Some of us, you know, are leading people. Some of us are just trying to lead ourselves. Some of us are fixing things. Some of us are probably breaking things on purpose. I don't know. But you called us. You called us each, individually, to do things that create this magnetic force to you. Lord, we want to be magnetic for you. Wherever we are, whatever we do, Lord, in relationships, in families, in spheres of influence or or our places of work, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would every day, every moment, every second, help us to choose life. Help us to choose obedience in you so that we can demonstrate how doggone awesome it is to be in Christ, living that life of freedom and fullness and relationship with our Creator. creator. So Lord, help us to do that. Help us. Help us, God. We love you. Oh, we love you. We trust you. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, And everybody says, Amen. Thank you.